Take your Bibles with me and turn to Book of Numbers, please. We're going to continue in our series on conquering through Christ. Numbers chapter 15. Last week, we looked at relying and not trying. And uh, if you missed that, um, this is a key thing to our entire life, that we rely on Christ and not try physically harder, but that we rely on Him. So we looked at, number one, the coming judgment, then we looked at, number two, the correction of bad choices, and then number three, the catastrophe of a broken relationship. And then we said this, relying, not trying harder will enable victory. So a little review for you. This week I want to preach to you a message I've entitled, A Superior relationship. Before we begin into that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here this morning. And Father, we look to you at this time. Father, we've heard great music. We've uh, understood the words to those that music. And Father, we've been ministered to. And Father, we could um, be ministered to through music all day. But Father, it's your word that changes lives. And I pray that today and this morning, Father, through a superior relationship, that you would allow us to draw closer to you today. And Father, leave here different than when we came. Father, I pray that all of us, myself included, would have ears to hear and that we would uh, take what's being uh, taught this morning from your word and we would apply those things to our lives. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for all you've done for us, for allowing us to uh, even live in this great country. And Father, serve you is a great privilege. And I pray that we would never forget those things. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. A superior relationship. The word superior from Webster's Dictionary means higher or greater in excellence, surpassing others in greatness, greater in quality or degree. When I say the word relationship, what comes to your mind? <laughs> Some of you have memories of how wonderful a relationship you have had. Some of you have great memories. Some of you have wonderful things that you can think of about wonderful relationships. Others of you may call them nightmares of a relationship, terrible experiences that you've had. I'm sure all of us have some memories of relationships, whether, whether they're good or whether they're bad, but they've all had their ups and downs in every relationship. Some have had wonderful relationships and some have had horrible relationships but all of us have had some sort of relationship. Relationships tie each of us together. I have a relationship with each of you here today in some form or another, whether you're just first, I'm first meeting you today or whether we've known each other for 10 or 15, 20 years. Relationships we have are with family. Relationships we have are with friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates and the list could really go on but the fact of the matter is every one of us has a relationship what if I told you that there was a way to have a perfect relationship how many of you would take me up on that offer I would I'd take myself up on that offer I would love to have a perfect relationship in which I never made any mistakes, in which the person that I was in the relationship with never made any mistakes, but we just constantly lived in harmony. This type of relationship, if you think about it, would be a superior 
relationship. It would be superior to every other relationship that you have ever had because no relationship is perfect, right? I hear mostly women saying that. <laughs> no relationship is perfect. That's just the fact of the matter. And, and this is something that we, I think, strive for, but something that we can never seem to obtain. For most of us, we long for this type of perfect or superior relationship. So if you're going to write something down, I want you to write this down this morning in regards to conquering through Christ. Conquering can only take place when you have a supreme relationship. Conquering can only take place when you have a supreme relationship, and I hope to prove that to you this morning. The children of Israel have just made some huge errors. If we're going to go back just a little bit, they've, they've done some things wrong. They've um, not trusted in God. They went up to the land and they spent time trying to conquer the land without the help of God. And currently they are suffering the punishment of a plague and the knowledge of they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This is all fresh in their mind. I don't think they're terribly excited about it. But the very thing, next thing we see here in chapter 15 is God begins working on the relationship again. If you remember where we left off last week, we left off the fact that it's about a relationship. It's not about doing what God wants you to do. It's about having the relationship God wants you to have. And so God begins working on this relationship again. And he begins working on getting it back to a place where they will put their faith and trust in him again and have this superior relationship once again. I want to show you three keys to a superior relationship this morning. Three keys to a superior relationship. Number one, the supplier recognized. The supplier recognized. Let's look at Numbers chapter 15. Let's look at verse 1. The Bible says, at the end of every seven years, I'm in Deuteronomy. That is the wrong passage. Numbers chapter 15. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land of your habitations, which I give unto you, and will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, or a sacrifice in performing a vow, or in a freewill offering, or in your solemn feast, to make a sweet savor unto the Lord, of the herd or of the flock. You see, this to me kind of sounds interesting. We've just gotten to the fact that they just lost a battle with the Canaanites and they just lost this battle quite heavily and they didn't trust God. And the very next verse we read is, hey Moses, tell the children of Israel that when they come into the land which I have promised them, that I will give them, when they make an offering, they better do it a certain way. Does anybody have that's interesting to me? Why would he begin talking about this? But God is getting back down to the relationship of things. God asked the children of Israel to give an offering in recognition of what God has done. Again, I want you to notice a few things here, mainly in verse 2 at the end of the verse. He says, into the land of your habitations, which I give unto you. He's drawing a conclusion that, hey, I am God, I am the provider, I am the supplier, I'm the one who's going to give these things to you. 
God is the one who will give them the land. God is the one who will provide power for them. God is the one who will give them what they need to survive. And we'll see that over and over and over and over and over again. Again, verse 2 says, which I give unto you. If you look at verse 3, the end of the verse, it says, to make a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 4 Bible says, offereth his offering unto the Lord. Verse 7, for a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 10, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 13, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 14, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 18, when you come into the land whither I bring you. See, all of these things, he's constantly drawing attention that it's for me. It's for me because of what I have done for you. These offerings are for me. Recognition of the supplier. This is not about celebrating accomplishments because thus far, they have had no good accomplishments. They've gone into the land which God had promised them, and they said, we are going to conquer in our own strength, and they failed miserably. There is no accomplishment. Before that, they had no accomplishment. They murmured throughout the wilderness, and God gave them, and God gave them. They have really accomplished nothing other than God supplying for them. This is about relying. This is not about trying I believe the first thing that God wants them to recognize is simply their error in not trusting. He's trying to get back to the point where, listen, children of Israel, you need to realize who your supplier is. I promised you the land. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you, which implies I will give you the power to conquer. It is about me. It is not about you. If we are going to have this type of supreme relationship, then we as well need to recognize our supplier. You see, the supreme relationship is not lateral. It's not along with humankind because humans can never have a supreme, perfect relationship. This relationship that we're going to talk about is recognition of our supplier. It's a, it's a heaven-word relationship. It's a God-word relationship, and that's exactly where we need to be. If you'll go to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. We need to recognize our supplier. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 12. The Bible says this, furthermore, when I came to Troas, this is Paul speaking, to preach Christ's gospel as a door was opened unto me of the Lord. He says, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence unto Macedonia. Now watch this. Now thanks be unto who? Be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. You see, Paul's saying, listen, it's not me triumphing. It's not me conquering. It's God who causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest, watch, the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Conquering through Christ is a sweet-smelling savor to God. Verse 15, excuse me, the Bible says this, for we are unto God a sweet savor 
of Christ. Because of Christ, we are now a sweet savor unto God in, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? We could spend a lot of time spending time here in this passage understanding these things, but for sake of time, we'll continue through. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, watch this, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Do you see the focus in Paul's life? The focus in Paul's life is God and Christ. It's because of God that we get to live through Christ, and it's because of God that we get to triumph through Christ. Paul is recognizing his supplier. Paul is realizing that God provides things for him. He's realizing that through God, we can triumph. We are to do things for God. We are to do things in the sight of God. And when we are recognition, when we recognize God, that is a sweet savor to God. Just like if your children recognize that you provide for them. As parents, it's wonderful when your children don't take advantage of you anymore, but they say, hey, mom and dad, thank you. There's this wonderful feeling that dwells up inside of you and you begin thinking, this is a sweet savor to me. I love this. I love it. And the same is true with God. But I want you to continue into 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul takes this another step. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? So he says, listen, We've given, we've given it to God. God is our supplier. And then he says, because we've been really so successful, do we begin again to commend ourselves? As if this has happened before. And if you look at the children of Israel, you can see that, yes, it's happened over and over and over again where they begin to commend themselves and say, look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. Surely we can go up into the land and conquer this. I mean, we've conquered other things. We've done other things. No, you haven't. God has. And so we need to realize that, yes, do we begin again to commend ourselves? But he continues, or need we? as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. E-R-R, epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. He's saying, listen, you, the church at Corinth, you are our epistle written in our hearts. You guys are, you guys are living what we have taught. You guys are living what God is doing in such, verse 4. Trust we, trust have we through Christ to Godward. You know what Paul's saying? He's just saying, listen, you guys are living somewhat of a successful Christian life, and we know that the church of Corinth was a carnal church, but nonetheless, they're a church of God. And they're moving forward, and they're making changes, and they're doing well, but Paul says, listen, it's not because of us. We trust that you are continuing to do the right thing because of God, because through Christ to God word. And then verse 5, a famous verse. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but he says this, but our sufficiency is of God. You see, folks, today 
we need to recognize if we're going to have a supreme relationship with God, if it's going to be a perfect, unbiased, holy relationship, it must be in recognition of who God is. As our supplier, do you realize that everything you have today is because of God? Everything. I don't care if you worked hard and you, had a, you bought a great car and you've got a wonderful house because you worked so hard. It doesn't matter. God has given you those abilities. God has given you air to breathe. At any moment, God could take away that air and you could begin having lung problems. And I, my, my grandfather had COPD. You think, oh, that's not such a big deal. That's a big deal when you can't breathe. And God has given you the ability to work, and God has given you the ability to think, and God has given you everything. And we need to recognize that. The moment we stop recognizing that is the moment our relationship begins to dwindle. Because we need to recognize our supplier. And this is exactly what God is saying. Listen, you're going to come and you're going to offer. You're going to offer things to me because of the things that I will give you and because of the things that I will do for you. we are going to conquer, we must have a supreme relationship. And if we are going to have a supreme relationship, we must recognize our supplier. But number two, we must have our sins rectified. Go back to Numbers chapter 15. We must have our sins rectified. Nobody likes this one. But if we're going to have that relationship, we must have our sins rectified. Numbers chapter 15. Look at verse 22 with me, if you would. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 22. Again, God speaking through Moses, and if ye have erred and not observed all these commandments which the Lord hath spoken unto Moses, even all that the Lord hath commanded you by the hand of Moses, from the day that the Lord commanded Moses and henceforth among your generations, verse 24, then it shall be, if ought be committed by ignorance without the knowledge of the congregation that all the congregation shall offer one young bullock for a burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord with his meat offering and his drink offering according to the manner and one kid of the goats for a sin offering. And it will continue on that once you make that offering, verse 26, and it shall be forgiven all the congregation of the children of Israel. You see, sins need to be rectified. And here he begins to talk about the sin of ignorance. You realize that there are things that we do wrong every single day that we just don't realize that we're doing wrong? But I guarantee you this, the more you spend time in the Word of God and the more time that you spend recognizing your supplier, the more God will say, hey, you're doing something wrong, and he'll point those things out. And you know what he says? He says you need to get those things right. He says you need to offer a sacrifice. And to these people, that was their, their redemptive uh, way was to offer sacrifices, but we have a different way. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That applies before salvation and that applies after salvation. In fact, I believe if you have never confessed your sins to God, then you cannot be saved. You must confess to be saved. You must realize that, yes, I did wrong. 
You may be sinning in ignorance. But the fact of the matter is, once you figure that out, you need to rectify those things. In verse 30 of our passage here, it changes the tone just a little bit. Verse 30, the Bible says this, but the soul that doeth ought presumptuously. The word presumptuous, again, brings about the connotation that it's basically willfully. Anybody who doeth ought willfully, presumptuously, he's presuming to do whatever he wants to do. What is the Bible saying? Whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord. Watch this. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and hath broken his commandment. That soul shall be utterly, utterly be cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. You see, we will sin presumptuously at times. We will sin willfully, knowing that it's wrong. And sometimes I think we do this more than the other. I think we know what's right and wrong. I think we know what's right to do and what's wrong to do, and oftentimes we just choose to do wrong. We know it's wrong, and we don't care. We take it and we do what we want with it, just like Adam did with the fruit. He knew it was wrong. And yet he chose. He chose to sin, and his sin must be rectified. I want to give you an example of this here in the passage. Look at verse 32. While the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. By the way, that is a sin. For the Old Testament children of Israel, this was a sin. You did no work on the Sabbath day. It was a day of rest. And this man was simply out gathering sticks. It doesn't sound like it's a whole lot of work, but nonetheless, it was work. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation, and they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done unto him. And the Lord said unto Moses, watch this, the man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, I hope all of you are going, whoa, that's pretty harsh. And the fact of the matter is, it is. We don't necessarily have those rules and regulations, but the same is true. Sin must be rectified. If you begin to look into Joshua, and we'll get there eventually, but if you look into Joshua, they, God is telling Joshua, listen, you will conquer every battle that you ever have. You will conquer. They go into Jericho. They walk around the walls seven times. It's crazy. Nobody understands it. The walls come tumbling down. They go in. They conquer. And the very next battle, the very next battle is a, is a city by the name of Ai. Just little AI. We can handle this. No big deal. They lost the battle. They did not conquer. You know why? Sin was in the camp. A gentleman, I don't even know if we can call him a gentleman, a gentleman by the name of Achan stole three things that God told him not to take. He hid them. And because of one man's sin, the entire nation of the children of Israel did not conquer. Folks, sin must be rectified. 
If we're going to conquer, you say, listen, my marriage is just not where it should be. Listen, you have to get yourself right. We need to, and I do this, all of us do this all the time. Well, if my wife would just, well, if my husband would just know, the fact of the matter is, what am I doing wrong? Sin, my own sin must be rectified. I'm the only one who control my sin. God must deal with my sin. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother, not my brother, but it's me. Sin must be rectified. Sin is dark. Sin is dirty. Sin is unpleasant but it must be dealt with. If Israel was going to conquer, they had to be holy. Did that mean that they were never going to sin again? No, absolutely not. But it meant that they must deal with sin. Can I challenge you with this, that if you are going to conquer in your life, you must deal with your sin. You must get alone with God, and you must You must be honest with yourself about your sin. I want to take you over to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. This is a verse that means a great deal to me. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. The Bible says this. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Watch this. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. I gave a story last week about when I was in grade eight. Seems like a long time ago. Three years prior to that, I was in grade five. That's a good thing. It's a very good thing. I had to write a research paper. Now, at this point in my life, I was not excited about school. I despised school, and really from this day forward, I hated school. I didn't want to be at school, and I didn't want to do the things that I was supposed to do, but our teacher said that we had to do a research paper. I remember I was really begin to, beginning to like hunting at this time, and I had a bow, a bow and arrow, and I wanted to go shoot my bow. I didn't want to do anything else but shoot my bow and arrow after school every day. And so I had no time to work on this, my research paper. My grade five teacher, her name was Mrs. Childs. She was a great teacher. And she demanded that things be done properly and in order. As a part of our research paper, we had to write out our paper on four by six cards. Does anybody else have to do this? I hated this. Had to write down every part of our paper on four by six cards. When you were done with the first one, you couldn't go on the back. You had to put that one down and you had to write a new one and continually write and continually write. Then, once you were done with that, Then you would have to write a rough draft, double-spaced. Makes me cringe just thinking about it. Then when you were done that, you had to write a second rough draft, also double-spaced. 
And then, finally, when you were done with that, you got to write your final draft, and that was the one that you turned in. Nobody has time for things like this. I had things, better things to do. And so I did not want to think. I did not want to write. I did not want to write it four times. Didn't want to do that. So you know what I did? On my four by six cards, I took my encyclopedia. My paper was on George Washington. Word or phrase one, George Washington was a superhero among and it continued. George Washington was a superhero among, and from there on, I counted my words, and I had to have so many words, and when I got to those words, I stopped. Copied it perfectly. I mean, it was so good. Nobody can copy like I can copy. By the way, that's illegal, and it's called plagiarism. Don't do that. I remember turning in my first rough draft. My Mrs. Childs, she says, did you write this? I said, absolutely, I did. That is not a lie. <laughs> I wrote it. She says, wow, this is very good. Anyway, long story short, I got an A plus on the paper. Grade five goes by. Grade six goes by. Grade seven goes by. Grade 8 goes by. Grade 9 goes by. And all those years, I went to a Christian school. So we had chapel all the time. And I'm not kidding you. It seemed like every time we had chapel, Proverbs 28, verse 13 just kept coming up. Whosoever covereth his sins shall not prosper. And by this time, I had known that God wanted me to preach. I had known that God wanted me to be in full-time Christian service, and I could not get over the fact that this was going to hold me back. Again, grade 9, one year after grade 8, also a good thing. I couldn't stand it anymore. My grade 5 teacher was now, I believe, the grade 2 teacher. She had transitioned a little bit. Now, remember, she, I was in study hall. Couldn't stand it anymore. I was in the hallway. I was the hall monitor because I was Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. <laughs> I sat there with that gut-wrenching feeling. Here comes her class. I knew her class. She comes out, and at this time, she's, this is my best friend's mom, so we know each other. I see her come out, and I said, Mrs. Childs, can I talk to you? Grade 9. Tears start flowing down my face. Absolute ball, baby. I said, Mrs. Childs, in grade five, I wrote a paper on George Washington, and I plagiarized every piece of that. And I said, I am so sorry. And I fully expected her to say, you're going to have to take grade five over again. <laughs> fully expected that. She said this. She said, have you, ever, have you ever done it since? I said, no, ma'am, I have not. And she says, then I forgive you. Don't ever do it again. And she gave me a hug. And that was it. But for four or five years, all I could think about was that one sin. Now, I had done other sins. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I knew that I was covering this one. And I knew I couldn't prosper. And there's no way we're going to conquer if there's sin in your life. No way. It's not going to happen. If there's sin in our lives, it must 
be rectified. And I want to show you the third thing. And finally, separation remembered. Separation remembered. Go back to Numbers chapter 15, look at verse 37. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 37. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which ye used to go a-whoring, that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. And he says it again, I am the Lord your God. You see, God tells the children of Israel to physically and openly identify with God. The blue ribbon on the borders of their garment was to help the children of Israel remember. To remember the commandments of the Lord. But not only remember the commandments of the Lord, to remember that they are not to seek after their own heart. They're not to seek after their own eyes, which they used to do. They used to do those things. No longer. This is about me being your God. I am your God. We would use this today as a wedding band. Anybody who's married has a wedding band. You know what that's for? That's a physical, open identification that I am a married man. You know what it also does? And this isn't that much of a big deal, but it reminds me, reminds me that I'm a married man. You know, there's going to be times in my life, and I think if we're all honest, there'll be times in our life where temptation will come. And this wedding ring had better be in the right place. And it had better be a reminder that you better not do this. You're a married man. All of you should have received a blue ribbon. You put it wherever you want. You don't have to sew it to the bottom of your garment. You don't have to tie it in your hair. Listen, it's very simply a reminder that you are God's and that God wants to be your God. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. I'm almost finished. But in 2 Corinthians a lot, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 3, now I want you to be in chapter 6, verse 11. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, the Bible says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now, for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. And he says in verse 14, 
be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and watch this, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Verse 17, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You see what God's trying to do? He's trying to say, you're mine. You're mine. You're my children. You're my people. I want to be your God. I want you to conquer. I want you to have a good marriage. I want you to raise your children. I want you to fill in the blank. I want you to do it. But light doesn't have any concord. Light does not have any resemblance of darkness. Come out from among them. Get your sin rectified. And remember that you are separated, not separated under the world. Nobody cares about the world. You're separated unto me. You're mine, and I want to be yours. You might say, well, how can I have a relationship with him? How can I know Jesus Christ? How can I be in a relationship with God, folks? It's salvation. Some of you may not even know what salvation means. Some of you may not be in a position where you know your relationship with God. Can I challenge you this morning? A relationship with God is the first key in conquering. If you don't have a relationship with God, you cannot conquer. You can try and you'll, you'll work hard and you'll do all that you can do, but li listen, with, without God, you can do nothing. And so if you don't even know your relationship with God, you must first of all realize what Christ did for you. You must recognize your supplier. Christ died on the cross. Why? For your sins. All of us have sinned. You know what? Our sins need to be rectified. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says that his blood cleanses us from all sins. And then if we put our faith and trust in him, we can have an eternal home in heaven with God. And the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, that if we believe in him, then we are the sons of God. He has given us the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, that belief brings you into a relationship with God. And when you're in that relationship, then he says, listen, remember, I am your God. And I believe the process will always continue because we want to do our own thing. And if we're going to conquer, we have to remember who our supplier is. We have to recognize that. And number two, we have to rectify our sin through Jesus Christ. We have to remember that we're separated. Take that blue ribbon and simply remember, I am God's. I am God's. When I'm God's, that's going to change how I live. When I am God's, that's going to change how I conquer. When I am God's, that's going to change me because I have God living inside of me. Put it as a reminder. Put it in your Bible. Use it as a bookmark. Put it on your fridge. Put it somewhere 
that you'll remember that you are God's. I'm going to ask that every head be bowed and every eye be closed.